Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. You're taking us to Paul's letter to the Ephesians over the next few days, Colin, and uh, really explaining it as you have rewritten the New Testament in your version of it called The Truth. And uh, you were explaining yesterday just how much meaning there is in the first few verses in Paul's greeting to the Ephesians. Yes, we can't go back over everything I said yesterday, (laughs) but we're going to pick up what Paul is saying in verse 4. And in verse 3, he's he's made it clear that God has taken hold of the lives of believers and put them into Christ. And that, of course, was possible because of all that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. And because we're in Christ, God has blessed us already with every spiritual blessing that belongs to his heavenly kingdom. Now, in the following verses, Paul explains why God has done this. This is because he chose us before he created the world to belong to Christ. Now, that's the first thing. This is the knotty Um, problem of predestination. Well, there's absolutely no doubt that Paul believes in predestination, but he also believes in free will. Now, to the reason that makes no sense, but in the New Testament it does make sense, that God has his preordained plan and we are part of that plan, and he chooses who will be part of that plan. But at the same time, he has chosen to act in such a way that it's only when people respond to the gospel with their free will that they become part of that plan. So, of course, because God knows the end from the beginning, he can see all this. He he sees even what is going to happen at the end of time. So it's not saying God has favorites? Um, it, it isn't to say that God has favorites in the sense that, uh, well, let me put it this way. We are all his favorites when we're in Christ, because we all have the grace of God and the favor of God. But it's very clear, as we will see as we go further on in this epistle, that he chooses to save some but not others. Now, there's a sense in which, you see, the Scripture says he would like all men to be saved, but he knows they won't because not all will believe, not all will want to surrender their hearts and their lives to God, but they will prefer to live for themselves. But we'll we'll see the argument as it unfolds uh, in the epistle. So, <clears throat> verse 4, Paul says, He chose us before he created the world to belong to Christ, to be made holy and blameless in his sight. Because of this amazing love, he decided that we should be adopted as his sons when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there's the free will part, you see. God's preordained plan is that a certain number of people will belong to him that he will put in Christ. They will inherit all the spiritual blessings of his heavenly kingdom, even while they're here on earth. Um, But they're only incorporated into Christ and become the sons of God when they put their faith in Jesus Christ. So it's not true to say Everybody is a child of God. No, no, no. To be a child of God is a particular privilege. God has chosen who will be his children. He has chosen to adopt them as his children. Um, Christ was the only 
born son of God. We were not born sons of God. We became sons of God. We became the children of God when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And John makes that clear in the opening chapter of his gospel, that to all who receive Jesus, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Not those who rejected Jesus, but to all who received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. And Paul is saying the same thing in a different way here. He decided that we should be adopted as his sons when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, this was his purpose and even his joy. And and that's that's an amazing thing, that this is not sort of God begrudgingly working out a process of salvation. It was his joy to do this. He wanted to see people restored to unity with him. Remember, he created man to live in fellowship with him. Adam and Eve lived in fellowship with God. He walked with them every day in the garden until they sinned, until they were then thrown out of paradise. But God's desire is to restore man to that place. And it requires faith in Jesus Christ, faith in what he did for us on the cross, because it's the shedding of that blood, as we saw yesterday, that makes us holy and blameless in God's sight. And as you mentioned yesterday, Paul's own testimony just demonstrates this. Yes, that the arch persecutor of the church becomes the great apostle to the Gentiles. That just shows the extent of God's grace, but also that must have been the purpose of God. Nobody else would have dreamed that up. You know, I often think if, if, the, um, if the rest of the apostles were having a prayer meeting in Jerusalem uh, and, you know, God said to them, I want to raise up someone to be an apostle to the Gentiles, none of them, not one of them, would even have put Saul of Tarsus in the frame. (laughs) Uh, And if the Holy Spirit had said to them, I'm going to raise up Saul of Tarsus as the great apostle to the Gentiles, they would have thought that they were being deceived in what they were hearing. I mean, when God spoke to Ananias to send him to open Paul's eyes, Ananias had a struggle with that at first. He said, but Lord, we've heard about this man, how he's been persecuting the church. And God just said to Ananias, go, he is my chosen instrument. And that was enough for Ananias. And I, 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 I love it when Ananias comes into the room where Paul is in Damascus and he says, Brother Saul. And I thought, what a man of God that Ananias was. He believed God that now Saul of Tarsus was going to be his brother. That's a tremendous act of faith because in the natural, he would fear that if he exposed himself to being a, as being a Christian, he would have been put in chains by Saul and taken back to Jerusalem. Do you find it interesting as well that Paul or Saul's own story is one that he didn't actually choose to become a believer in Jesus? He was confronted with Jesus. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, I would say in my own life, I mean, I came to know the the, the Lord as a, as a boy, but I didn't come from a Christian family. I didn't have anybody to preach and teach me the gospel at that time about what it was to be born again or anything like that. Uh, it was a sovereign work of God in my life. And I've met so many other people over the years for whom that is true. Others brought up in a Christian family and environment and become believers, and that's fine. 
But God has this way. I mean, you hear today of Jesus appearing to Muslims who don't know the gospel at all. But I think in their hearts there is a hankering after the truth. They want to know the truth, so the truth appears to them because the truth is a person and his name is Jesus. So it, it's amazing to see this same uh, sort of work of predestination, but at the same time, God not trampling over our free will, but waiting until we make that response of faith uh, and, and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it was his purpose and his joy to adopt all those who are believers in Jesus as his sons, and therefore, of course, to be inheritors with Jesus of everything that God has to give. And then in verse um, 6, why should he do such a thing? Because this causes his people to praise him for his glorious grace. In other words, God has chosen to work in this sovereign way as the obvious outworking of his grace. It's what he has chosen to give to those who deserve nothing. I mean, if God chose us before the creation of the world, then he, he didn't choose us because of anything we had done, didn't choose us because of the color of our eyes, or did he like the look of us, or anything like that. He chose us because he chose us. It, it's a sheer work of his grace. Now, we don't have to get to the position of saying, therefore, we, we don't have to go and witness to anybody, because Jesus sends the church out to witness, go into all the nations, and make disciples. So uh, we don't have to get over to an extreme position like that. Uh, but what we do understand is that we can praise God for his glorious grace because it's never through anything that we have done that any of us have been saved. It's not through our works. It's not through any goodness of our own, but entirely through the grace of God which he freely gives those who deserve nothing from him, because that is the nature of grace. All this grace he has given us in Jesus, the Son whom he loves. It's wonderful, wonderful truth. Now, we've seen that we've been incorporated into Christ, so Paul's next statement is that in Christ we have been redeemed, that means that with his own blood, he has made it possible for all our sins to be forgiven, and so has purchased us with the price of his blood, so that now we belong to him. And that is the nature of salvation. We are forgiven, we belong to God, and therefore we are called to live our lives to fulfill his purpose, not any purpose of our own. To say, my life is my own to do what I like with, is a lie for every Christian. My life belongs to Jesus Christ because he has paid for me with the price of the blood of his Son. And my purpose, therefore, is not to fulfill any ambitions of my own, but to do the will of God. You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 